You've got your Bibles open and ready to go. We're going to look in the book of Titus. And uh, if you're uh, out getting a, something to drink or a snack, you need to get back in and get your Bible open. Get ready to study it together. <clears throat> we're going to look at Titus chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. And we're going to share a message entitled, The Blessed Hope. The Blessed Hope. Uh, I want to remind you to be praying for us for this week. Uh, we did order... Uh, individual um, communion uh, serving cups uh, with the bread uh, attached to that and Lord willing that'll be in by the end of the week and if it is then we'll be contacting you and we'll be uh, deliver them to you so you can we can have a communion together uh, this next Sunday however if they don't get in by the end of the week then we'll just postpone it to the following week but I just want to let you know uh, that our plan is to be able to ha observe the Lord's Supper together. <laughs> and certainly, uh, it's a wonderful uh, ordinance that God gave to the church, uh, reminding us of what Christ suffered for us, that we might be able to be saved, and certainly reminding us of the power of the blood of Christ to atone for all of our sins. And so you be praying that we'll be able to, to do that this next Sunday. If not, take heart. Uh, we'll do it the following Sunday. Amen. So the blessed hope, look in Titus chapter 2 and uh, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, uh, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together once again this afternoon. Uh, be able to study the Word of God, how precious it is to be able to open up the Bible. Uh, Lord, we're mindful of the fact there's many people around the world that don't have a copy of the Word of God. Uh, but Lord, we've been so privileged to be able to have the Bible in front of us and to be able to read it and pray over it, Lord. I pray that the Spirit of God will be our teacher tonight, uh, that it might stir us with uh, great expectation and hope as we think of the blessed hope our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless the preaching of the Word of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Text verses, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And blessed hope. It's for sure for the believers in Christ that we always have hope uh, in our God. I remember years ago, old Dr. Malone preached a message and just simply entitled Hope in God. And you know, in the Psalms, and the Israelites were uh, discouraged and defeated, and the challenge would be just have your hope in God. And no matter what's going on, we can have hope in our God. G. Campbell Morgan said, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that perhaps he may interrupt my work and begin his own. I am not looking for death, I'm looking for him. And uh, oftentimes I think we forget that whoa, whoa, we're, not, we're not looking forward to death, 
Now, we're looking for Jesus Christ. Now, many of us may have to go into the presence of the Lord through the avenue of death, but many of us are not. Many of us will be caught up in heaven when the uh, rapture takes place in the church. And so it's all right for us to start every day expecting God to enter into our life and to change things. Uh, we have a tendency to plan everything out. Uh, we have our schedules. I know I have my schedules. There's things that, that I'm used to doing, but this coronavirus has disrupted everything. And uh, I've been a little bit, uh, um, uh, what do I want to say here? Not discouraged, but uh, adjusting, I guess you could say, to try to work with my schedule different. And uh, studying at home more than being in here, studying, doing a lot of work at home rather than doing the work here. Uh, limited in what we can do as far as hospital visits and nursing home visits and all these different things that are powerful impacts on other people's lives and ministry has been completely disrupted because of this coronavirus. But how much more? How much more should we be willing to let God disrupt our schedules? How much more ought we to be willing to say, God, not my will, but thy will be done today. I have my plans. I have my direction. I have my information that I need to accomplish what I want to do today. But, Lord, it's okay to change things. It's okay to interrupt us. I've often said over the years, uh, it would be great if God just... Uh, disrupted our church services once in a while. And uh, he certainly has right now. I mean, he's changed everything around the way church services are being held. And so it's okay uh, because of the fact we're looking for that blessed hope, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the way Paul puts this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the blessed hope, and that's who we're looking for. Warren Worsby said this, what starts with grace will end in glory. And uh, you and I, as believers in Christ, our life began by God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man shall boast. So our lives, our existence as Christians, as believers, began with grace, but you understand it's all going to end in glory. And so we're looking for that blessed hope. The Apostle Paul had left Titus in Crete uh, to set some things in order in the church. And uh, much like Timothy, Paul spends much time instructing Titus for the work that was going to be set before him. Uh, you can get a sense, let's just look at a few verses here in Titus to get a sense of what Titus is all about. Notice in chapter 1 of Titus, just turn back one page, and Titus chapter 1 and verse 6 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, uh, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work a reprobate. And so right away we see the emphasis in the book of Titus is an emphasis on good works. There's many who say they know God, but their works do not demonstrate that they are aware of who God is. And so he says they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Chapter 2 in uh, verse 7 
says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. And so in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Uh, no matter what we are doing or what we're trying to accomplish, uh, we need to show forth a pattern of good works. I was on my way over to, to the church this afternoon to preach, and uh, as I was coming over, I was listening to a radio station, and they were talking about statistics about different churches and uh, how churches are responding to this coronavirus, and they had all these different percentages of, of people, of churches that are involved with food banks or trying to do financial support or prayer support or whatever, and they were going all through that, and I thought how powerful it is for the church of Jesus Christ during these troubled times as we're looking for our blessed hope, show forth a pattern of good works. I had someone call me last night uh, that has cancer and uh, they called me to let me know because they don't live in this area, but they called me to let me know that there are several people in our church that has connected with them, sending them cards and praying for them. And uh, they were literally in tears. And this person's not a Christian, but they were in tears that a church that was out of the area where they live would reach out to them and pray for them and show the love of Christ for them. And they, they said this to me. They said, I am really feeling the love of God. And that's what the pattern of good works is. And uh, we say we're Christians, we say we're not afraid of dying, we say that we're going to heaven, we say we have hope each and every day, but there's multitudes of people who do not have hope, and so we need to show forth a pattern of good work. So during these troubled times, minister hope to people by showing forth that pattern of good works. In chapter 2 and verse 14, says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. It's an exciting thing to be zealous for God in good works. It's always interesting to me to watch our young people. Oftentimes our young people grow up, they become teenagers, and they've, of course, been in Sunday school, they've been in church all their life because their parents are bringing them here. And then all of a sudden there's a change in interest. All of a sudden, there's a change of focus. And the change of focus is to go after bad things. The change in focus is to pursue the corrupt things and do things that are not good. And yet, here we are supposed to be a peculiar people zealous of good works. There needs to be instilled in every one of us as believers the excitement about being a Christian is not a selfish excitement. It's a reality that we have the opportunity to do something good and be kind one towards another. And so we see this matter of a peculiar people zealous of good works. Chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Be ready. Uh, be on edge with, for the opportunity that you have to do something good to someone else. Then chapter 3 and verse 8, he goes on, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that 
thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And so uh, he's challenging the believers to be focused on this matter of good works. If we say we believe in God, then let's be faithful in maintaining good works. And then verse 14 says, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. And so it's very clear to see that this little book of only three chapters is packed full of the concept of good works. Good works. You say, why should we have good works? Why should we live our life in that way? Uh, because we have hope. And because we have hope, our good works instills in someone else the opportunity to enjoy uh, hope also. The believers on Crete had professing faith, but they did not have a practicing faith. And really, the days in which we are living in, these, these have become faith reality. Uh, we say we have faith, and oftentimes we come to church, and we'll sit in church, and we're comfortable in church, and uh, we, we greet one another in church, and we're satisfied with those things in church. But it's not very practical because once we talk about our faith, we celebrate our faith. As we gather together, we walk out of the church and never do anything to demonstrate our faith. We almost fall into the pattern of the believers on the Isle of Crete that we need to be reminded that our hope drives us in faith that practice good works. Consequently, Paul is challenging them to live in light of the return of Christ. If Jesus is coming again, and he is, then there ought to be a zeal and a focus and an excitement in the believer's life to have good works. You know, the writers in the New Testament all believe that Jesus Christ was coming back in their daytime, in their lifetime. And uh, if that be so, then certainly here we are in 2020. It's not unreasonable to expect that Jesus Christ would come in our lifetimes. And so because of that, then we need to have good works. Now look over in Romans chapter 5. I just want to look at a few thoughts here about this hope that we have. What does the Bible proclaim as far as hope in the scriptures? In Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, Romans 5 and verse 2 says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So I see, first of all, when we talk about hope, it's a joyful hope. It, it's not a sad thing to um, think of the aspect of going to heaven. <laughs> it's a joyful thing. I just got word today that a fellow I led to the Lord all the way back in 1984. I went home to be with the Lord today. Uh, that's not a sad thing. It's a joyful thing to know that we're going into the presence of God. Paul said, I'm confident rather say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have a joyful hope, and that joyful hope is based on the brevity of trials. Paul says in verse 3, he says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And so tribulation is brief. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul would say, 
but our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And you think of a person's life, maybe 50 years or 60 years or 80 years or even 100 years, that is a short time in light of eternity. And yes, there are trials and there are difficulties that we have to go through, but they're very short. They're only here for a while, a short while. And those times of tribulation teach us and help us to have hope in reference to working patience in us. And so I see the brevity of tri uh, trials. I see the stability in the trials is this matter of patience, of enduring to the end, just staying in there. It was uh, Charles Spurgeon that said, through perseverance, the snail made it onto the ark. And sometimes we look at the, the world in which we're living in and we say, I don't know how much more I can take in this lockdown. How horrible is that? We just have to sit around and do nothing. It's amazing to me how people are struggling with this concept of doing nothing. I understand it because after two days in the house, I got to get out and do something, man, I'll tell you. And uh, we just see this world that we live in. We look at it and we say, I just can't take much more. Well, wait a minute. Trials and tribulations work patience. It's the brevity of tribulations and difficulties that we go through that strengthens us to be able to face each difficulty that comes in our life. Hey, let me just let you know this. When this one is over, there's another one coming. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. Well, tribulation works patience. And if the trials that God's given us and the shortness and the brevity of this trial comes to pass, then God has prepared us to endure for the next one. And so we rejoice. We have a joyful hope because of the opportunities in trials. He says here, and patience, experience. And so the endurance that we have in Christ gives us the ability to experience a move of God in that trial. I, when I, my wife and I went through Bible college. We didn't have any money. We had to pray for food to come in. Uh, we literally didn't have any food. My alarm clock had broke. Uh, I was got demerits because I was late for class because my, I overslept. I'd gotten in for at around 2 o'clock in the morning from work. I had to be in class at 7.30 in the morning. My alarm clock was broke, and, and so I overslept. I got in trouble, got to marriage for that because late for the class, my wife and I didn't have any money to buy an alarm clock, didn't have any money to buy food, and we were praying for food, and we were praying for an alarm clock. And one night when we came home uh, from church, we came up and was he never, listen, we did, when you pray to ask God to do something, doesn't mean you have to tell everybody what your needs are. We didn't tell a living soul that we needed food. We never tell a living soul we needed an alarm clock. But we prayed, and we asked God to take care of us, and we came home from church, and on our doorstep was two great big bags of groceries with an alarm clock sitting right on top of it. And I, I, I don't, when we were going through those things, I didn't like the idea of not having money. I didn't like the idea of not being able uh, to get what we felt that we needed, but I am thankful that God gave us the opportunity to experience that because we learned that God can provide for our needs and God can take care of our needs. I remember my wife that one time I was at school the night before I had worked, drove bus, so I got tips and I went to school and I got done school. I was coming home to eat dinner. I was going to go back to work, but I had gotten some tips. I got $10 in tips. And the Lord laid on my heart, you need to take your wife and get her a pair of shoes. 
And so I got home. I walked in. I did not know this at the time. At the time God was laid on my heart to buy my wife a pair of shoes, she was on her knees in our home praying and asking God for a pair of shoes. When I walked in my house, I said, come on, hon. I said, uh, I got $10 in tips last night. I want to go buy you a pair. Let's go to pay less and get you a pair of shoes. And she told me, she said, you won't believe us, but I just got up off my knees asking God for a pair of shoes. Listen, the opportunities and trials and difficulties helps us to learn that we can have hope in our God. So we don't have to be mournful in trials. We can be joyful in the trials. And then there's respectability in the uh, trial. In verse 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so I'm thankful that I don't need to be ashamed. You know, I don't need to be ashamed of, of not having things that other people have. I remember when we were at Bible college, my goodness gracious, we didn't have, I didn't have money to buy suits and everything else. I remember I, my suit that I had, I was gaining weight, and they, I had to get somebody to let the suit out so I could wear it. By the time I graduated, I had lost weight. I had to have somebody take the suit in. And, uh, you know, you don't need to be ashamed. I wasn't ashamed of that. I wasn't ashamed of the fact that, wait a minute, I didn't have things that other people had. I knew that God was taking me through trials and tribulations to prepare me for a life of faith that believed that no matter what goes on, I can have hope. And I want you to know tonight, you can rejoice and be happy in the Lord because of the hope that we have in God. I see that it's a joyful hope. I see that it's a unifying hope. Over, now, just turn to the right a little bit, and you'll get to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 4 and 5, tells us there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I see a unifying hope. Uh, secure in our access to our God. Secure in the reality that God is the one who cares for us and blesses us. We are called into one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we don't have multiple gods that we worship. We don't have multiple faiths that we are connected with. We don't have multiple baptisms that we experience. Our unity, our security is based on the fact that we all worship the same God. We all have the same faith. Everyone who is a part of the church is going to heaven on the same basis. Everyone that is in the church is worshiping the same God. Everyone in church is united and connected with the body of Christ through one baptism. Jesus died on the cross once for all. And he did not die over and over again. And when we get baptized, we're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the hope I have is that I'm a unified with the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, through one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. But I also see the surrender to his authority. In verse 6 says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so we live oftentimes, we say that the Bible, the Bible is the final authority for faith, 
and for practice. Now listen, we like saying for faith, but then when it comes to practice, that's where the problem comes in. Because everybody says, well, you believe we need to live that way. You believe, some believe we need to live this way. No, the Bible is the final authority on everything. Why? Because God is the one who gave us his word. This is not man's word. It's God's word. It's an inspired book. It's a holy book. It's a book that was breathed out by God. And because he breathed it out, we have an obligation and responsibility to build our hope based on the authority of what God has said. So I see we have a joyful hope. We have a unifying hope. Uh, it's a blessed hope because it's a stabilizing hope. Look over in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Try to just line these up so we can just kind of keep turning to the right. That way you'll be able to get there very quickly. A stabilizing hope. Hebrews chapter 6 in uh, verse 19 says, Which hope, and you notice all these verses deal with the hope that we have. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That's why I called it a stabilizing hope. Our hope is an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil. And I thought about the stabilizing hope as far as the blood behind the veil. You know, the priest would have to bring a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. And as he would bring that blood sacrifice, he would take it behind the veil in the temple and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Uh, God opened a way for man to have access to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have a stabilizing hope because the blood is ever making atonement for you and for me. And so I know I can have access to God because the veil has been rent in twain because of the blood of Christ that was shed stabilizing hope. You know, I was all over the place. My wife and I, when we got married, we started going to different churches. We went to every church that you can imagine. I mean, we went to every church. Because if we went to my church, my mom's church, her mom got mad. If we went to her mom's church, my mom got mad. So we said, enough of this, we're going to find our own church. And we just started going to all kinds of churches. We've been in every kind of church. I'll tell you, you can imagine, only imagine the craziness we've seen going all these different churches. Uh, but uh, wait a minute. They were not preaching. We'd take the word of God and check them out. They were not teaching uh, the blood of Christ as a means of atonement of our sins. And as a result of it, we did not have a stabilizing hope. Uh, we were wavering. We were tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and yet the Bible tells us that we're not to be tossed to and fro. And when we came to faith in Christ, it was the blood of Christ that was shed for us that stabilized our life and gave us a hope. Notice, because he's the mediator at the throne in verse 20 of Hebrews 6. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest after I'm sorry, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so we see he's a mediator at the throne. Uh, today, at this very moment, 
you have someone interceding for you at the throne of God. There's but one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I remember years ago when I was driving buses in Michigan, uh, going to Bible college, I had a fellow, who was a Catholic priest actually, on my van, and uh, I had to take him to a hotel. And so I dropped everybody else off and made sure he was the last one on there because I wanted to talk to him. And uh, so I told him, I said, sir, I want you to know that I'm studying to be a Baptist preacher. And I said, now, I don't want to be disrespectful, and I, I certainly don't want to demean you in any way, but I have some sincere questions. And I was just wondering if you could answer some of those questions. I'm a student. I'm wanting to learn. Could you answer this question for me? He said, well, what is that? And I said, well, you know, the Apostle Paul says there's but one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. I said, then why do, you, why do you have people praying to the priest and praying to Mary and all this, that, and the other? And boy, I'll tell you, he started him hauling. Uh, he couldn't give me an answer. And he was like, well, you understand that, you know, a mother has influence on her son. I said, well, wait a minute. Didn't God create Mary? Isn't Jesus Christ God in the flesh? And he said, what you, what you need to understand, we just talk to her because she intercedes for us. No, I said, the Bible says there's but one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So I don't understand why. He never did answer me. And I still have never, in all these 35 years of being in ministry, I've still never had anybody answer that question for me. Why? Because the hope that we have that stabilizes us in our life for Christ is that he is the one who is interceding at the throne of God. And if we are going to be able to approach the throne of heaven, it's going to be through Christ and Christ alone, a stabilizing hope. Why? Because the blood is behind the veil, the mediator at the throne, and the priest that is um, interceding for us is eternal. It says, even Jesus made a high priest forever after order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ, priesthood has no beginning, has no end. He is eternal in his person and in his practice. Jesus Christ, because of the fact that he is a high priest, he is our prophet, priest, and king. And because he is our priest, I don't need to go through any other priest. You do not have to come to me to get to God. You can get on your knees right where you are and go into the presence of God through Jesus Christ right now. So this blessed hope, it's joyful, it's unifying, it's stabilizing. First Peter chapter 3, I see it's a living hope, a living hope. And uh, listen, we're not, listen, I, I often say, I, when I was raised, I went to Funeral Baptist Church. And I say that because churches are dead. Churches aren't alive. They're not preaching the word of God. They're not, they do not have a zeal for God. And uh, they just, just dead, just dead. I can't take it. I, people say, well, I don't understand why you shout and carry on and yell when you're preaching because of the fact I'm excited that I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm not up here. Oh, I hope you can open your Bible. And if you open your Bible, we're going to talk about God. No, sir. 
Bless God, we need to be excited and thrilled and on fire because we live in a ser- and serve a living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, he's a resurrected Savior. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That's not a dead hope, it's a lively hope to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we have a living hope. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. And I don't understand people saying it's boring to be a Christian because I've had the time of my life since I've been saved. It's a living hope. Notice it's an incorruptible inheritance in verse 4. To an incorruptible inheritance and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Everything you have on this life, on this earth, is corrupt. Everything that is on this earth is decaying. Everything that you may be able to consume and possess in this life is fading away. But everything we have in heaven endures forever. And so it's a life, living hope. Notice it's through the power of God in verse 5. says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm thankful tonight uh, that my hope that I have is by the power of God. It's not by my strength. I tell you, I struggle with discouragement and depression at times. Uh, Sometimes I just get downhearted. My wife says, what's the matter? Are you okay? We, we men are typical. We like having conversation. Your wife asks you, is everything okay? You say, everything's fine. Well, what's wrong? Nothing. Well, you look like you're depressed. I'm not depressed. Leave me alone. And we, we wonder why we have to have marriage counseling sometimes. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I, sometimes I get so discouraged and I have my own little pity party and I don't like inviting anybody to them. I like to have my own pity party. And when I get done with it and I get out of it, it's by the power of God to change my heart and direct my thoughts to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again. What, why should I worry about what's going on in this life? I need to look towards the heavens and know that God has a strength to give me a living hope. Well, here's the last thing, a purifying hope. Look over in 1 John. Just keep turning to the right. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3 says, And every man that hath his hope. Well, there's a lot in the Bible about hope. Every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. A purifying hope. Notice, first of all, it's love that is experienced. And in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Meditate on that for a minute. Behold what manner of love. That God would call us the sons of God. As many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In John chapter 1 and verse 12. 
What manner of love? God loves us so deeply and so preciously that he gives us a purifying hope based on the fact that God who cannot lie said that he loves me and because he loves me, then he has changed my life and given me hope and based on the reality that he would love a wicked sinner like me. I, that's beyond comprehension. It's beyond explanation. The purifying Hope that we have because of the love that we experience. Because of the condition that is expected in verse 2 of 1 John 3. Behold, now we are, I'm sorry, behold, now are we the sons of God. I, let me just throw this in here. Verse 1, it says that we should be called the sons of God. In verse 2, it tells us now are we the sons of God. May I say this, there is a difference between being called the Son of God, sons of God, and being a sons of God. And so it says here, beloved, we now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him like he is. You know, the, you know, God in Romans tells us that whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And if God has predestinated this concept that we are to be conformed to the image of his son, when will that culminate? When will we experience that? It says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And so we're to live out a purifying hope based on the love of God that's been shed abroad to us and offered to us. It's beyond comprehension that he would do that. And then a conduct that is encouraged in verse 3, every man that hath this hope. What hope? The hope that you're a child of God. What hope? That you'll be like Christ. What hope? That you'll have eternal things in heaven. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. In other words, because of the fact that we have hope of what we're going to enjoy in heaven, it makes a difference in who we are. I remember when I got saved, God took the taste of alcohol right out of my mouth. It was amazing that God delivered me out of that, that thing. You know, it was interesting that my wife and I always went to dances and all this, that, and the other before we got saved. And uh, uh, that was back during the disco time and all this, that, and the other. Now I'm really showing my age. And uh, we would go to dances all the time. And a friend of mine, little child, little, uh, little boy, had to have a serious operation. He didn't have insurance, didn't have the money for it. So they decided they were going to have a dance for him as a fundraiser. It was a 50-50 dance, so whatever you paid for the ticket, half of it went towards the medical cost for this uh, his baby uh, uh, eye surgery. I believe it was eye surgery, if I remember correctly. And so my wife and I, I didn't know why I didn't think of this. Instead of giving them 50-50 by going to the dance, why didn't I just give them the cost, the total, and not go to the dance? But anyway, my wife and I said, well, you know, we're, we're saved and, and uh, you know, but it'll be all right because we're not going to drink. 
We're not going to smoke. We're not going to do all those things. We're just going to go to the dance. We're supporting our friend. And I remember we went in that dance, and I never in my life experienced the feeling of demonic influence like I felt when I went in that place. I mean, we came out of that place. We left early because of the fact we were like, we got to get out of here. And we left that place. We felt dirty. Felt like we had been defiled. Now, we were young Christians. We'd only been saved a couple of months. We were young Christians. But it is a young stage of our Christian life. Even then, there was the impression based on the hope that we have Christ as our Savior and the hope that we have eternal life uh, was so embedded by the Spirit of God in us. Uh, we were under conviction because of the wickedness in the dance hall. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't understand. I don't understand how people who say they have faith in God and they have hope in eternal life can conduct themselves in the old lifestyle with the drinking and the cursing and the smoking and the music and the dancing and all that stuff that goes with it. It is a not reasonable. It's not reasonable to say that I have hope that I'm going to heaven and allow those things to consume your life. My wife and I walked out of there and we, we made, our, made a decision right at that very moment. We said, we are never, we are never coming back into a place like this again. Why? Because we have hope in God. Why? Because we're looking for something that's better. Why? Because we've been born again and we're not the same that we were. Why? Because we, the old man has been crucified and the new man is put upon us. We're trying to live a new life in Christ. Why? Because that is our blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where our focus is. That's where our attention is directed. We're looking for the skies to break open. And as the skies break open, the trump of God to sound and the dead in Christ to be raised first. We which are alive remain to be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what we're looking for. You can't be looking for Jesus coming when you're looking for all the influence and the entitlements and the entertainment that's out in the world. People say, I don't understand why you have such excitement. I don't understand why people have such joy. I don't understand why people uh, go through these different tragedies and things uh, like they do. Uh, they do it because of the fact they're not looking to the tragedy. They do it because they're not looking to Washington, D.C. to be the answer for their problems. They do it because they're not looking to the world to satisfy their needs. We're looking for the blessed hope. And the blessed hope that we're looking for is Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that John the Baptist was put in prison... And his disciples came to him and he said, to go and ask Jesus, said, art thou the one or do we look for another? His life was on the line. His freedom was ended. It was only a matter of days before he'll be beheaded. 
Are you the one or do we look for another? And oftentimes in the times of tragedy and difficulty, what we do is we look at the circumstances that we're in the middle of and we wonder, is Jesus the one coming again or is it something else we need to look for? Let me encourage you with this. Our blessed hope is Jesus Christ. And the blessed hope that we have is we're looking for his glorious appearing because he is our great God and our Savior. It's Jesus Christ, the blessed hope. I hope that you have hope tonight. Let me encourage you and challenge you to look to Jesus for hope. I find every time I get discouraged and every time I get depressed or every time I feel defeated, it's always because I have taken my eyes off of looking towards Jesus Christ. That's why I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. He'll take care of us. He, listen, he can feed you. He can meet your financial needs. He can heal you. He can grow you. He can encourage you. Uh, he can satisfy you. Everything that we're hoping for in life and all eternity is found in Jesus Christ. I hope that's where you're looking tonight, looking for that blessed hope. Let's pray. My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much. Uh, it's an amazing thing to experience an anointing and move of God in our life. We're thankful that we have someone we can turn to that is eternal. We're thankful, Lord, that we have someone who loves us, and that's our Father in heaven. And we're thankful, Lord, that no matter what we face, whatever we go through down here, God, there's always hope. And it's a blessed hope because we're looking for Jesus Christ. Bless folks tonight. Encourage the saints of God to take hope. I pray if there's someone that doesn't have hope tonight that they would turn their heart to Jesus. Lord, if they're not sure how to be saved, they would contact us. Give us the opportunity to take the word of God and show them how to be saved. God, please help us. Please meet with us. Please stir us. Please, please watch over us. Please, God, give us the joy, the excitement, and the hope that Jesus is coming again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.